0: Welcome to Avatar with the Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender.
1: And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before.
0: Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 11, The Day of Black Sun, Part 2, The Eclipse.
1: Yes, Sam, we thought the last episode was going to be short because it was all just leading up to this episode. But the last episode was like two hours. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, I think we're so- going to be here for like half a day.
0: I think so, because this one feels so much meatier than I felt like the invasion, even as I was taking notes, it's like, oh, there's big swaths of thing. I don't have to spend a lot of time writing about. Um, And and there's almost there's just not much said because that's that one's like a war movie, you know, Um, this is not a war movie. This is a this turned into a totally different thing. So we should probably ju- we should probably jump right in cuz we i think part of why the episodes get long is we spend a lot of time up top but this really is a continuation of last episode so i feel like um just to set the stage because this is one of the few episodes that doesn't have a previously on um we should probably do our own previously on so where did where did last episode end
1: We kind of we left off with Aang in the palace going, no, because he's reached into the throne room of Fire Lord Ozai, realizing that he's not there, realizing that somebody has tipped off uh, the Fire Nation, specifically Fire Nation royalty to the invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the battlefield, though, things seem to be looking pretty good, like they're making all of the um, all all of their targets. They're moving up towards the palace. So uh, while the battlefield looks great. Aang realizes that this could be a lost cause.
0: Mm-hmm. And Hakoda seems to be off the table. He's with Katara, who's working on healing him. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have Bato and Sokka, uh, who are leading the way, and they're and they're pretty excited because they're like ahead of schedule.
1: Yes, um, yeah. And
0: and they're unaware of what's happening with Ang. So I think that pretty much. And so so we're we're just about to the eclipse too. The eclipse has right. not happened yet. It's been a Fairly unmitigated uh, military success on the battlefield, which I did not expect.
1: Yeah, it's going very smoothly. I mean, they like meticulously planned this thing. Mm -hmm, So mm
0: -hmm. good to see. So let's let's jump into the episode picking up right there.
1: Awesome. So we start with a shot of the moon to kind of to give us um, some background as to where we are. So the moon is slowly moving in front of the sun. There's still kind of golden light beams coming through. The sun is still shining, but clearly we're getting towards the eclipse.
0: I can't believe you're one sentence in and I already want to make a comment, but (laughs) it's not even something that I had in my notes. It's just occurred to me. It's like, this is interesting because it is such a oddly moon centric episode because the eclipse is caused by the moon, Mm. right? The moon moving in front of the sun. And I think there is zero UA reference. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, she is the moon spirit, but uh, no reference to her uh, when it comes to the eclipse.
1: Maybe Sokka is moving on. Sam, maybe it's your Sokka Suki moment. (laughs) That could be. So the battle continues to rage on on, in the square in front of the palace city gates. And um, we see earthbenders shooting boulders from armored cars. We see firebenders lobbing blazing fireballs back in return. Sokka is sitting behind a wall of, it's kind of like metal shields or like a makeshift barrier. And he's strategizing with Bato um, and another earthbender, who I think is nameless, um, over a map.
0: And, and I love this. See- I, I love this because it, it, we we're seeing, <clears throat> in last episode, we saw Sokka as like the the battlefield, like actually like, Leading the army from the front, but here we're, it's like we get to see him as like a general plotting out what's happening in the moment, and I, I this is a version of Saka I very much enjoy.
1: Oh, me too. It seems like we're watching a war movie. Like it, he fits that so well. So Katara, uh, we see her walking and helping her father to walk from out of a building that was overtaken by. I called them the allies in my notes. It feels weird to do that. But by the the Aang crew, right? Like, well, the, and, and it fits it fits humanity. the D-Day
0: invasion idea, right? That these yeah. would be the allies, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so there it must be like a, a kind of jerry-rigged hospital scenario. Uh Sokka runs to them, he's happy to see that his dad is walking, but Hakoda says that he's in no shape to fight. And so Sokka decides to fill him in on what's happening. He's saying things are running smoothly, even without the eclipse. We're hitting everything we're supposed to hit. Uh, This could be a success. This day could be successful. But Katara is looking off into the distance, and she's in disbelief because she sees Aang gliding toward them. And as Aang lands, Sokka says, tell me you're here because the Fire Lord turned out to be a big wimp, and you didn't even need the eclipse to take him down
0: which yes. is interesting which is interesting because that's i mean that's played off as a joke in part because we know what's happening and we've seen Fire Lord Ozai but the truth is they've never seen Fire Lord Ozai and the last time there was this mysterious ruler that everybody was like ooh you know what turned out to be the Earth King which I think I could have beaten the Earth King <laughs> um, so so it, there there is like he's saying this as a joke but there is this distinct possibility that there are these things built up to be more powerful and scary than they really are.
1: Absolutely. Plus you think about, uh, like Azula. Azula is a leader for sure. So you could see fire Lord Ozai being more of a figurehead and his daughter being the one that's controlling things. Right. Um, so Aang says he wasn't home. No one was the entire palace city is abandoned. And Sokka goes, they knew. <laughs>
0: no, I, 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 I have to say, um, they knew is is a very funny, um, <laughs> do you ever see the movie Spotlight? Yeah. Okay, there's a great Mark Ruffalo scene. It's like the, the most like emotional Mark Ruffalo gets um, towards the end of that movie. And that's what he yells out. And there's a, a podcast I listen to called the Rewatchables where they constantly make this overacting joke and they give out an award called the Mark Ruffalo they knew award. So the <laughs> fact that Sokka just turns and says, they knew, I love it. <laughs>
1: Um, okay. Yes. Uh, also, a plug for Spotlight. Great movie. Mark Ruffalo, even with the overacting, excellent.
0: You know That's how good Mark Ruffalo is. Just in general, he should be in Avatar. Like,
1: yeah, they have Serena Williams.
0: Yeah. Right. Where's Where Where's our part for Mark Ruffalo? Although there's still nine episodes left, so maybe Ruffalo worked his way in.
1: Oh, I would be so happy. So Sokka goes, they knew, and Aang says, it's over that the Fire Lord probably fled to safety far away during the eclipse, maybe um, on an island somewhere. And Sokka says, no, 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 my instincts tell me he wouldn't go too far. And I wrote in my notes, instincts, because that is something that comes back often with Sokka, right? And in in the past, we've seen Katara and Aang make fun of him for his so-called instincts, because sometimes his instincts uh, are more based on like a hungry stomach than anything else. Uh, But this time his instincts... Um, proved to be pretty valuable for the team. So, he says, my instincts tell me he wouldn't go too far. He would have somewhere underground, like a bunker, uh, where he could go and be safe during a siege. And then Toph walks up and chimes in and says, if it's an underground secret bunker we're looking for, I'm just the girl to find it. Uh, And then we have, throughout this episode, Toph proving her worth again and again, like she always does. So, uh, Saka pulls out this time device that he received from the mechanist, and um, it says that they have ten minutes until the full eclipse.
0: I love, I love this device um, because what makes a great, um, what makes a great movie, whether it's a heist movie or whatever, is the like the ticking clock. And now we yeah. have a literal. I wish that they had just put it on the screen.
1: You know, like, like in
0: the, in the corner, you just see the ticking clock because what's, what's fun about this is it's not just this war movie, but here's where they have this very specific window of opportunity.
1: Yes. I want like 24 style where there's a clock somewhere. So Inc says, we can still do this. We can still win the day. And Katara said, well, if they knew we were coming, it could all be a trap. So she suggests that they use the time to get everybody to safety instead. But Hakoda then says, everyone who's here today came prepared to risk everything for this mission. They know what's at stake. If there's still a chance and there's still hope, I think they would want Aang to go for it. And then Sokka turns to Aang for the final say. um, You know, saying, Aang, it's up to you. You're the Avatar. And Aang says, I have to try.
0: I loved this moment in terms of, uh, I feel like whenever this show really encounters war, it's willing to ask big big questions um Mm. so there's this big question of like how much do you risk uh and and to what degree do you have the right to risk other people's lives for your objective um because again they're only going to do this because of sokka's instinct that the fire lord is probably still there which is like we don't i mean we don't know whether that's right or not. Everything that Aang saw seems to point to the fact that they hightailed it out of there. That there's mm-hmm. that there's nobody there, um, and it, it made me think of things like uh, like World War One. Mm-hmm. This idea of uh, think about like uh, Field Marshal Douglas Haig, who just like sends troops in, you know, just like you know uh into no man's land up against the other the enemy's trench and just gets kind of mowed down this conversation has a bit of that it's like all these people have already risked their lives and now on a hunch or on a i'm going to try to do this think of all the other lives he's risking mm-hmm. now one of the other questions that i find interesting is like what is the point of the rest of this army in the invasion right because at this point Ang. We're going to see that Aang and Saka and Toph go to, you know, they, they fly Appa up, up to search for the Fire Lord and everybody else is still fighting to get to the palace. But like, have they described why we need the invasion force at this point?
1: Right. That, yeah, because the assumption was, oh, people will be in the capital city, right? We'll have to get through soldiers. We'll have to maybe even push aside civilians, usher them to safety, you would think. So like now when we know that the city is deserted, why do they need to go there? Um yeah. perhaps just as a backup? I don't I don't know.
0: I mean I, I actually I as I think about it, what it probably has to do with is Aang's escape plan.
1: Uh, it's like what yeah. do
0: you because like after the after the eclipse is over, then all the all those firebenders have power again. So like do we need something to help him get get back out? Um so this whole plan is about a lot of people risking their lives. Um, yeah. And, and, and actually, like, this whole idea of getting, because they have this this ability to, with the eclipse, that they can get really far. It's like, are they going to get so far and, like, overextend themselves that then they can't get back out? So mm. I, it's, it is, it's a very interesting plan, um, and I'm curious to see how it plays out.
1: And I really liked this conversation, too, because it means that there are high stakes in terms of story writing. And uh, you and I have talked about in the past how I, I don't want to hope for this, but I think I think it's a better story if not everyone makes it out. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's better if if there are real stakes. And so the fact that Hakoda is saying we all came here prepared to perhaps lose our lives for this mission uh makes is it morbid that i'm like okay all right avatar writers
0: no because i think you said the right thing is which is it is storytelling stakes because if it's a story where um constantly nobody ever actually dies or nobody ever is actually in risk then that's not a compelling story i mean this is this it's a fictional story so you mean you can keep that in mind but like but a story has to if you're gonna pretend if you're gonna tell us that there are global cataclysmic stakes there has to actually be um there has to actually be those stakes what i love about this conversation is that everybody makes their case and then they turn to Aang and say it's your call Mm -hmm. so it isn't them saying um it's different than the beginning of season two at the avatar state where it's people trying to say like how do we use Aang to our ends Mm -hmm. right um now it's people turning to ang to say we're willing we're willing to lay down our lives potentially for this but you got to make the call Mm -hmm. like you have you have the right to risk our lives if you think it's the right move now you can decide whether or not you want to put us in harm's way or whether we should escape
1: yeah and i think yeah i think that's something that the series built over time like if you think about the decision-making of the crew for book one and book two, it's kind of everyone decides together or maybe Katara decides or maybe Sokka decides. And now we see a maturity in in Aang too to be like, oh, people trust me with the outcome here and they trust me as an almost fully realized avatar, right? Like he mm-hmm. still has something to, to prove or something to learn. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I think that the series earned it this moment to say no we're actually it's all up to Aang um, so uh, with Aang's approval Appa flies off with Aang Sokka and Toph up into the nearby mountain toward the palace city and Momo and, Katara- and Momo. thank you thank you Momo is very important um, and Katara stays back with Hakoda so as soon as they touch the ground Toph gets to the side of the mountain and puts her hand on it and she's sensing the earth underneath her. She says, there are natural tunnels crisscrossing through the inside of the volcano. So she stands up and lifts her arms into a T shape and then swiftly grabs at the earth and holds the ground in her fists. And she says, there's something big, dense and made of metal deep in the heart of the volcano. And so she earth bends a hole into the side of the mountain and before the three friends enter, Aang turns to Appa and Momo and he tells them to stay back, stay safe, Uh, we'll meet you after.
0: I love that ever since the cave of two lovers, there's always this Ang turning to Appa and basically saying, I'm not going to make you go underground. Mm. I mean, not that Appa would be particularly helpful in this part, but there, but he, cause he says that to him. He says, I'm not, I'll never make you do that again. And the number of times they go underground or go into caves, and it I mean there it is multiple times in in this the run of the show where he turns to Appa and says, "You don't basically you don't have to go with us into this." I really like yeah. that,
1: yeah, and it's also yeah, consistent and um uh, and also makes Appa appear more like a member of the group and not just the millennium falcon right mm-hmm. <laughs> like he like he is somebody that contributes and and has fears and has trauma um and i was sad to see that momo did not also go with them but that's okay so they jump through the hole and then they emerge into this intricate tunnel system just on the other, other side of this hole so like the mountain seems pretty hollow uh and toss senses which directions are dead ends and which then would lead to a bunker and so as they run through saka just keeps giving her um praise after praise and he's like what would we do without you and they pass through these small streams of lava and Toph says, probably perish in burning hot magma. And Sokka's like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so we get some Toph appreciation this episode. Long overdue. So their tunnel opens up into a large cavern, and it has these, what I described as, like, magma geysers. Is there a word for this, Sam?
0: I think that's probably as good as we're going to get with that. Um, I will say, and, and they, they sort of periodically, like, shoot out, and they have to navigate with this and um it reminds me of um the fire swamp in the princess bride a little bit you know where they it's this very dangerous thing and you have to walk through and avoid the sort of fire shooting up at different points this whole um this whole part of the episode feels a little bit like we're watching somebody play a video game Mm. because there's going to be this series of like, well, how do we solve? it feels very like we're, we're like, you're watching someone play legend of Zelda. It's like, okay, there's now here's the next thing puzzle you have to solve to get from here to here to here. It also sets up, like, uh, like you're watching a visualization of somebody playing Dungeons & Dragons as well. This whole episode does because literally they go into this cave and they're walking through tunnels and they keep encountering people. Um, so it, it, it feels very much like somebody playing a, a role-playing game in that way as well. Yes,
1: yeah. For me, it's like Legend of Zelda or Mario 64 or something and you keep getting to these new checkpoints. Um, so they have this huge cavern with the obstacles of the magma geysers. And across they can see another tunnel, and Toph says that this leads to the bunker. She can sense that it does so. So Sokka says, well, we need to be fast but careful. And then he charges into the cavern as a burst of magma nearly fries off his face. And Aang is able to airbend and cool it. And he's like, how is this careful? And Sokka says, I was wrong. We need to be fast, careful, and lucky. So they reach the other end of the tunnel through maneuvering through the geysers but realize that it leads to a pit with a river of lava around it. And it seems like there's no way out. Right. So they literally run up to a cliff. Um, and it, I wrote that this is very reminiscent of Ang's nightmares. So if you remember from his nightmares, he, uh, enters through the big ornate fire emblem door. Uh, and then he's standing on this cliff with lava surrounding him. Like this is literally what he was envisioning. Um, and so, uh, Aang decides to open up his glider, and he tells his friends to hold on tight. And they soar over the expanse of flowing magma to safe ground on the other side. Uh, yep. And it's a scene of like Sokka and Toph being terrified.
0: Right, and I will say this: this is the part that feels. Like you're playing Wind Waker or something. It's like, okay, we have a challenge. Which of my items that I have with me can I use to overcome this challenge? I mean, and and in that Link even has this big leaf that's like a glider. Mm. Like it's even like they use the same tool you would use in uh, in in Wind Waker. Like I love and I, I and yeah, I love I love this kind of thing. And this oh. is why I, I keep feeling like, why is there not a great Avatar video game? Like it, some of this stuff just lends itself so well to some of the, the, the items that people have, the characters that exist.
1: Yes, I can only hope that they do that. Plus, like, every good video game has a couple of shopping scenes. Like, even in Wind Waker, you can go buy stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for this to eventually happen. So, uh, they get to the other side of this magma to safe ground, and they see a door. And Socket says, That's some door. And it's huge, circular. It's a big metal bunker. And Toph says not a problem and she kind of like brushes aside her friends and she uh swiftly jabs her elbow into the door to dent the metal and then kicks and karate chops it open bending the metal so that they can get through and saka says again i'm so glad we added you to our group well Which, and it's... of course they couldn't get to where they were without toff
0: yeah i was gonna say like, like like it almost feels like they thought well toff hasn't been important enough for a while we need to like i mean this would, this whole thing would be impossible if they didn't have her. Cause they couldn't have found the bunker. They couldn't have found their way through the tunnels. They couldn't have gotten through the metal door. I mean, like all, there's all these things that if you were the fire Lord and you didn't know about Toph, which I'm sure he doesn't would be like, wait a minute, there's a, somebody who can do all of these things. Like it's, it's really great.
1: Yes. So meanwhile, back with the army, um, Hokoda's army is making its way up this winding mountain pass to the palace city, and uh, a Fire Nation general, it looks like, looks over his shoulder at the sun, and commands his soldiers to retreat and move to the secondary defensive position.
0: Now, I got to say, this image of the of them fighting their way and this up this winding path, like switchbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Does it remind you of anything you've seen in this show? Ah, uh, no. This looks, it looked to me, it had some of the same visual imagery of um, when the Fire Nation is attacking the Northern Air Temple in season one. Remember, they have their tanks and they're winding, they're they're going up these switchbacks to get there. um, And and you see the, you know, you see our heroes fighting from above there. It's like, this is a, a flipped version of that.
1: Yes, I love that. So Bato and the earth and waterbenders prepare to take the mountain in the remaining minutes before the eclipse. It's very near. And Katara helps to support her dad as he limps alongside the soldiers. So there's still some good progress with Hakoda's army. Back inside the bunker, a Fire Nation guard is pacing and whistling to himself. But he gasps as he sees the three friends approach. And then seeing avatar uh, seeing avatar Aang, seeing that he is obviously outnumbered he quickly gives up the location of the fire lord's chamber so so,
0: he- so this seems to point to the fact that they had no sense that they would ever get this or that 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 um, the invasion would ever get this far that this oh, guy yeah. is this guy is not prepared and he's caught off guard and gives he's it up himself. really quickly yeah
1: it's just him yeah so he raises up his arms in defeat and says, Down the hall, left, and up the stairs, you can't miss it. And Aang is like, Thank you, and the three just keep running. And the whole time Sokka is eyeing that really important watch and realizing that the eclipse is in 30 seconds. So they make it to another set of doors, this time double doors. And Aang breathes in and out, calms himself, and then says he's ready to face the Fire Lord. And he breaks open the door with air bending. But on the other side is a throne with a lounging Azula sitting on top. And the friends gape at her. And she says, so you are alive after all. I had a hunch that you survived, but it doesn't matter. I've known about the invasion for months. Um, How happy were you when you saw Azula? I I mean, we know Azula is terrible, but I... I She's
0: one of my favorite characters, though. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was so happy to not see the throne empty because
1: mm. like,
0: cause we've already got that. We got that last time. So the fact that, that she would be there. Um, and, and when I saw her sitting there to go back to last episode, I thought through all the possibilities that we had talked about. Like, I actually thought, has she usurped the fire Lord? Is she's actually mm. sitting on the throne? Cause we've seen her sit on thrones before she usurps the earth King and we mm. see, um, I'm trying to remember who walks into her sitting on the throne um i feel like there's a there's a moment in Bossing say where um where oh no she walks in and 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 takes over from um from long fang in the Mm -hmm. throne room so so we've seen her usurp the throne before so to have her sitting there like i actually got really excited i thought huh maybe those things that i didn't think were gonna happen have actually happened
1: yeah and it show it's a testament to her intelligence Uh, that this Fire Nation guard and kind of everybody who's in charge of the defense here, they don't know what's happening. And yet Azula planted herself in the very spot that she knew Avatar Aang would come to. Right. So like she could predict that the trio would make it there when other people couldn't. And it makes
0: me wonder how much she told, I mean, clearly they knew about this invasion. The Fire Lord does. Um, But I presume she didn't tell him about the avatar being part of it. Mm. So I'm wondering if she is going to this room. Almost as a kind of damage control to be like, well, then I can confront the avatar because I actually it's maybe in my best interest to keep this notion that the avatar is dead to keep this going.
1: Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that. I'm sure that's got to be it. But. So we have Azula there, and then we have Azula's brother uh, in the next part of this episode. So at another part of the secret, br- uh, secret bunker, we see Zuko approaching a much smaller doorway lit with two very small, modest torches. And he, the same as Aang, breathes very slowly as he approaches the door and then bows his head and he says, I'm ready to face you.
0: I loved this doubling. Mm. (laughs) that the fact that we see both ang and and zuko standing in front of the door really um you know to to use some some uh language that's that's kind of larded with 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 portent this this idea that they're both standing there basically saying i'm ready to face my destiny Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. like i think that's and and the fact that they both take this moment beforehand to think like um You know, this, my life and potentially the world will be different after I walk through these doors,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, and
0: they're acknowledging the significance of that moment.
1: Yeah. And on the other side, they're both expecting the same person. Yeah. So he slides open the door and his father sees him and asks why he's come. And around Ozai are a, a dozen guards or so standing in front of him. And this we cut to the outside and the total eclipse is nearing uh, as Hakoda's soldiers are marching up the mountain. So the mechanist yells out for everyone to put on their eclipse glasses. I don't know why, but I like laughed out loud when this happened. Uh, it just, it's it struck me as funny for some reason. I don't really know why. Well, it, I
0: totally agree with you. I mean, it, there is this like whenever a big, was it a couple years ago, there was a big eclipse mm. and, you know, people drove to Kentucky because it was like the best place to see it. And yeah. whenever this, I remember as a kid, there being an eclipse and there was just a lot of talk about like all the things you could do to watch it and how you can't look at the eclipse. You got to do all these other things. So of course the mechanist has spent time creating eclipse glasses. And what's funny is they seem like they don't matter other than it allows you to look at it, but (laughs) it's like, it's not like they need to look at it. They need to go fight. And there is this really interesting moment here after they put them on, I'll let you read what happens right after they put them on. Um, but, Oh, maybe you don't even have this. Notes. There's this moment where they all pause and look at the eclipse. Like they're on the mountain <laughs> fighting and everybody turns to kind of just look up at it. Yes. So,
1: which,
0: is, which is actually like a very human trait. It's like this thing that rarely happens is happening. And even though we are in the midst of war, we're going to stop to stare at this amazing natural phenomena. It's really yeah. interesting. And, and And I believe it.
1: Yeah, and to not even think about in that moment you have to fight right away, but it's like, ah, oh, probably the Fire Nation soldier. I mean, they I hopefully they aren't looking at the eclipse. I don't know. I don't know if Fire Nation or Firebenders can do that or not. I don't know. But like everyone stops and stands still because of this very human thing. It's like very Christmas truce like. That's you know?
0: exactly what I was gonna say. It that's exactly what I thought about. It's like there's th- there it there's this moment where this thing is becomes bigger than the war, which seems like it's the most important thing, you know, on any kind of global cataclysmic level, but, but even this natural phenomena, uh, supersedes that. And I really, Mm. I like the possibilities of things like that, that something can break through even what seems like the fiercest, most important thing.
1: Yeah. Especially in this world where the moon and the sun are such symbols of power and of the spiritual realm, that um, to look on them and their majesty is not just to look on nature, but it's to look onto the spiritual too. Absolutely. So then we go back to Ozai's chamber and this is where I'm going to start a new segment, Sam, where we are going to be speaking the dialogue together, you and me.
0: I love it. Little reader's theater kind of.
1: Yes. Reader's theater. So I'm going to be Zuko. I figured you might want to be Mark Hamill.
0: Wow. Do I I have the gravitas to pull off Ozai?
1: absolutely i will
0: do my best
1: okay um so there's a little bit of back and forth between zuko and ozai it's actually a very um dialogue heavy episode so we'll keep going back to readers theater (laughs) um but here's where we begin so zuko um is talking to ozai in the, the bunker and he says i'm here to tell the truth
0: telling the truth during the middle of an eclipse this should be interesting
1: and then he ushers the guards to leave them. So it's just the two, father and son. And Zuko says, first of all, in say it was Azula who took down the avatar, not me. And then Azu- and Ozai asks, like, why she'd lie about that. And Zuko says, because the avatar isn't dead. And Ozai is genuinely surprised and angry. And then Zuko says, in fact, he's probably leading this invasion. He could be on his way here right now. And then Ozai yells at Zuko to leave if he knows what's good for him. And Zuko says, that's another thing. I'm not taking orders from you anymore. And then Ozai says,
0: you will obey me or this defiant breath will be your last.
1: Then Zuko draws out his two swords and says, think again. I'm going to speak my mind and you are going to listen. Ozai. Uh, So then Ozai, powerless uh, during the eclipse, kneels and he listens to his son
0: so it's this it's this interesting like confrontation moment and i love that that uh the the fact that this is happening during the eclipse like shifts the power dynamic because you realize that ozai when he thinks about the power and authority he has in his family especially with zuko and for all i know with the zula that it is a power which comes From it is an authority which comes from his physical bending power, not Mm -hmm. from any kind of love or respect or anything like this. So once he is stripped of that power, like it there is no appeal to like, but I'm your dad, like like you do what your parents say. It's like it's like he has burned through all of that as he has literally burned his son uh in the Agni Kai.
1: Yeah. Also Zuko drawing out his two swords is real cool. And also I you and I talked in the, uh, maybe when we were before the last episode, like there's a moment where you're like, is Zuko going to kill his dad? Right? Like well, there is a real moment.
0: Yeah. And it, and it creates the opportunity for um my Macbeth subplot. Like like this, <laughs> like, again, I'm watching Pos and I know it doesn't go that way. I'm, spoiler. We're going to spoil this in a little <laughs> bit, but like, it creates this moment where i'm like oh maybe he's gonna this is where he's gonna take out the fire lord which would be unexpected because ang was gonna do it and when ang finally gets to this room he's gonna realize there is a new fire lord and it is zuko like like that could have happened there and like that's exciting to me you know but that's not the way the story goes but that's it's like this potential so so when you're watching it for the first time and you see him pull those out i mean it's it's He literally is, like, pulling a gun. And once that's done, you know, it's like, okay, what's... uh, It is clear where the power lies in this conversation.
1: And it's exciting that we don't... That we know Zuko so well, but also don't know him well enough that we don't really know what he would do. Right,
0: he he shifts enough that you're like, I don't know which version of Zuko this is.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, like, he left a letter for May. Like, I don't know. There's just... There's a lot of weight on this interaction.
0: Plus, there is a sense... We don't know what happened but there is a sense that Ozai <clears throat> was involved in something which made him the something with his father which made him the fire lord and we know that the next thing we saw that his father was dead. So it's mm-hmm. like it <clears throat> maybe this isn't so out of the question that somebody would assume the throne by usurping their father.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So uh, we only get a glimpse of that conversation. And then we go back to Azula um, and Aang orders Azula to tell them where Ozai is. And she says, you mean I'm not good enough? You're hurting my feelings. And Saka immediately sees through her game and he tells her to stop wasting their time. He says, you're powerless right now. So you're in no position to refuse. And then Toph says, and stick to the truth. I'll be able to tell if you're lying. And Azula says, "Oh, really? I wonder if that's true." And she says, in the most even and convincing tone, "I am a four hundred foot tall purple platypus bear with pink horns and silver wings." And Toffs like, "Okay, you're good. I admit it." So, so,
0: she- so she's a sociopath, is what we're learning. <laughs> yes. I mean, we kind <laughs> of already knew that, but like, like it's like she's passing the the all the obvious tests of like, yeah, your little lie detector. It's like. It's like there isn't blood that courses through these veins. I am that cold-blooded of a person.
1: Yes. Uh, And um, so then Toph, realizing that she can't sense the truth here, bends Earth up to encase and immobilize Azula instead. And Azula, though, somehow is able to break through these Earth restraints without hardly moving at all. Sam, do you know how?
0: Well, we're going to find out how. Um, in just a moment, but when when this first happened, I was just like, I was so baffled because it's like the rock around her just crumbles. And I just thought, mm. wait a minute, the eclipse is going on. Plus, she's a firebender. even though she's a powerful fire. Like, if she had her powers, could she break out of this? Yes, because she could mm. do some kind of lightning thing. I'm sure there's a way. But like, when she did that, I just I, I was my jaw
1: dropped. Um, Sam, literally just right now is the only time I now realized what happened.
0: Oh, <laughs>
1: on, on, on air. <laughs> How did I miss that? I was just like, ah, it's Azula, whatever. <laughs> was not paying attention. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there is a, re- <laughs> a real reason behind this. Um, and that is Azula pats the dust off her clothes and says, when I left Bossing Say, I brought home some souvenirs. And the Dai Li agents drop down from the high ceilings and defend Azula against Aang's airbending attacks and Toph's earthbending. Why did I not make that?
0: <laughs> okay, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that that I have coined and and I I I coined this phrase for my daughter because this is a running joke that we do where I will. Um, as her father explain things that, that I know she already knows. And the more she talks about how she already knows that I will explain it in more detail and we call it Sam's Um oh. So, so I know you've already figured this out, but what happened was the Dai Li agents were the ones who bent the earth.
1: <laughs> no way. <laughs>
0: yes. You see, they have the power to bend earth and that was earth that was surrounding her.
1: <laughs> oh wow. Earth like the ground? <laughs> yes,
0: like rocks and dirt. The, the minerals that, yeah. No, but anyway like like this is so well done because because your your reactions there were were exactly what everybody has which is like, wait a minute, how did she do that? And they don't knock you over the head with it because there's so much action that starts once the daily agents show up that you forget to think, "Oh, that's why it happened." Like like there's some there's another power here but what's really interesting about this is that we think we're conditioned to think water benders hang out with water benders, fire benders mm-hmm. hang out with fire benders, earth benders hang out. So that's what, cause that's what makes the avatar so powerful is he can do all of these things. Right. And it's what makes the Aang gang so powerful is that they have all of these different kinds of benders. But now you realize like, Oh, Azula also has extremely powerful earth benders that work for her. <laughs> now, like, like it's, that's a really interesting thing. So now it's like multiple elements on both sides.
1: You made me feel better about missing that. Mm, so thank you, Sam. I've watched this episode many <laughs> times doing the notes. Um, but when the Dai Li dropped down uh, from the ceilings, Mike Mike came into the room and goes, "The most despicable characters in the series, <laughs> the Dai Li. That's a M- he thing. More
0: than Long Fang, or to see group Long Fang in. Group- with okay,
1: grouped in. Yep, grouped yeah. in. I mean." selling over their entire
0: country but okay not that we need to relitigate the Dai Li, but we're going to do <laughs> it but we already know that Bossing say is a world of mind control right and mm. brainwashing so don't we just assume that they're brainwashed
1: yeah or they're just like hey uh we've been screwed over by one one royalty like whatever you know we can move to the next we'll move to whichever one is the most powerful
0: yeah they're definitely they, they definitely lack all conviction in terms of <laughs> of that but but what I what and I actually don't know this is what what I wonder is are they brainwashed and she just knows the the, the code mm. to sort of hack into them or if they are actually independent agents who are like just siding with wherever the power is
1: that's true I never really thought of them as continuing to have their they're brainwashed. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. I still think they're despicable, but yeah,
0: <laughs> that makes it a little bit better. Right. But do they have agency or not? No. I. I agree yeah. with you. I. I agree with you. I just don't know. I don't know how the dialy works.
1: Yeah, and that's that's one of my questions too. As we get to the end of the episode, we have some like lingering questions we're going to talk about, and one of them is like, what happens to the dialy, Li? and like, and what happens to Bossing Say too? <laughs>
0: and did she only um, bring two dialy agents with her? <laughs> Like, are the or are these just the two that are with her now? But does she have like, like a legion of them? Because there were a yeah. lot of Dai Li in Ba Sing Se. Um, I presume a bunch of them are helping to maintain Fire Nation order in Ba Sing Se.
1: Um, mm.
0: But I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened to the rest of the Dai Li.
1: It, yeah, that's kind of scary to be like, oh, I guess the Aang gang has to keep looking up to the ceilings from here on out because right. you never know if the Dai Li will be there. So uh, then we go back to Hakoda's army, and it's reaching the top of the volcano, and they see the palace city at the summit, and Bato has the tanks and soldiers surround the periphery to secure the palace by the time the eclipse ends. So they have roughly about eight minutes, right? The tanks descend into the city streets, and Fire Nation soldiers try to fight back but realize pretty quickly that they can't bend during the eclipse. And so they just surrender with like a, "Er, mm, okay, we surrender, right? Like it's, they just drop their weapons.
0: Now what I liked about the start of this, um, the start of this scene is we get a callback to a shot you really liked, which is in last episode, we had Aang sitting up on this ridge and viewing the palace. And now we're back to this ridge again, but it's now the kind of in the view of the earth, of the, um, the invasion force. And I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, and no longer deserted because the Fire Nation soldiers have been pushed back, um, which is exciting. So then we go back to Zuko and Ozai, and back to our readers' theater. Are you ready, Sam? I am ready to be Mark. Hamill? I actually, okay.
0: I, I need you to call me Ozai because, like, I'm kind of method when I do this, so I oh. I want to be referred to in character.
1: Yes, excuse me. I am so sorry, Mr. Mulberry. Um, okay, so wait, wait you uh, just I'm... called me
0: Mr. Mulberry. Fire Lord Ozai is what—that's <laughs> my character.
1: My apologies, Fire Lord Ozai. (laughs) So Zuko says, for so long, all I wanted was for you to love me, to accept me. I thought it was my honor that I wanted, but really I was just trying to please you. You, my father who banished me for talking out of turn. My father who challenged me, a 13 year old boy to an Agni Kai. How can you possibly justify a duel with a child?
0: It was to teach you respect.
1: It was cruel and it was wrong.
0: Then you've learned nothing.
1: No, I've learned everything and I've had to learn it on my own. Growing up, we were taught that the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history. And somehow that the war was our way of sharing our greatness with the rest of the world. What an amazing lie that was. The people of the world are terrified by the Fire Nation. They don't see our greatness. They hate us and we deserve it. We've created an era of fear in the world. And if we don't want the world to destroy itself, we need to replace it with an era of peace and kindness.
0: Your uncle's gotten to you, hasn't he?
1: Yes, he has.
0: Ooh, so I, I love a couple things from this from this this scene, and just in general, um, we haven't spent a ton of time with Ozai. Um, mm. Do you did you notice what Ozai had with him while he was kneeling there, or sitting there? I didn't. He had tea with him.
1: Oh, yes. I did see that. Which, which is like,
0: oh, interesting. He also, and this is all credit to Mark Hamill, he kind of sounds like Iroh. Like, he, he sounds like a different character, but like, there are things in the way that he talks that's like, oh, yeah, like I could, they sound like brothers enough. Like, mm. you know, like, like they've, they've maybe had some different experiences. They have some different ways of enunciating and talking, but but it's not completely unrelated. And I like that. Um, yeah. Things that I loved about this scene is I love, um, <clears throat> I'm a sucker for conflicts between generations. And this yeah. is such a great like uh, father-son scene, father-son conflict scene. Um, you know, and there's this idea of like, how could you do this to a child? And he's like, I was, I was here to teach you respect. I was here to like, so like him viewing his role as a parent of being one thing, and zuko saying well actually maybe it was supposed to be something else and then zuko just cuts into and cuts through all of that fire nation propaganda that we see when ang is at the school right we Mm. see ang getting sold this bill of goods about what the fire nation is up to but we realize that unlike most most fire nation people even fire nation soldiers Zuko's one of the few people who've really seen the world. Yes. I mean, he's yes. not he's not only been to places as a conqueror, but he's lived as a a pe- as a peasant in ba Sing say.
1: He stayed over at Song's house like mm-hmm. and had dinner with them and bonded over being burned by the Fire Nation.
0: Yeah, so so he has experiences that are unique to any Fire Nation person and it puts everything he's been taught in relief. Now, We haven't heard these views expressed until now so you know partially i think what's happening and why we get such a an interesting like uh conflicted pensive zuko when he's back in the fire nation even though he's had everything he's ever wanted is is that he's processing these experiences and he's calling into question those things that that he thought he wanted because he's calling the question of what the fire nation means, but that like everything with Zuko, it takes time. It's not immediate. It's not, I see this and I see this and now here's what I think about it. But it's like, this stuff is kind of working on him. So I, I would love to, I would love to have seen what that uh, war meeting was like. Cause that seemed like a real turning point for Zuko where he was yeah. like, it wasn't me. So so what was the propaganda that was laid out there that actually the lesson he learned was I sat there and I bit my tongue. Yeah. And I propaganda. didn't say anything. I didn't say anything, but now I'm going to say those things that I was thinking then.
1: Yeah, like propaganda or what is their plan? Like, is there some plan that's not sitting with him? Like, I don't, we don't know. And I hope we get to know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I also appreciate this scene because they start out not with like what the fire nation has done wrong or anything it starts with all i wanted was for you to love me and to accept me and it's such a gutting episode truly to think like this boy isn't really just going to his dad to lay everything out it's like all i wanted was you to love me and i know now that that is something i just cannot get from you um, and then to think about all the times in season one and two and three, when he said, I just need to regain my honor. And now to realize you could replace that with, I just need to regain his love. Like that's mm-hmm. all it's really about. Um, and that is unbelievably tragic.
0: There's another great propaganda moment here. Um, and, and Zuko cutting through propaganda. And that's a very specific piece of propaganda. Cause think of how often we have seen earth nation, and fire nation people throughout this show talk about iroh Mm -hmm. talk about who he was and what he is now and the fire nation people talking about like how he's a traitor and how he turns out that he's this weak pathetic person and ozai when he says you uh your uncle has gotten to you hasn't he it's like it's like ozai has himself you know drunk the kool-aid on who iroh is but zuko's like yeah, he has. In fact, he has because that's mm. that's the only person with real wisdom here. So yes, he has because Ozai means that as an insult, mm. and and Zuko's like not an insult. Actually, he has gotten to me because he's right.
1: And yes, and we were we were um, applauding Mark Hamill's delivery of these lines. I think it's really important too that like this whole time so far, Ozai has been pretty even tempered. Like he. I mean, you were saying he sounds like Iroh, like he sounds wise, he sounds um, calm, but then the part that pushes him is when uh, he starts to hear Iroh coming out in his son, and that's Mm -hmm. when he laughs in the face of Zuko, and it's like, now we get a little bit of the maniacal Fire Lord kind of like, not over the top, but just like, this person is evil, it comes out when he sees Iroh's kindness coming through his son. Right. And to see like, oh, yeah. Iroh has been a dad to Zuko, and I haven't. Um, so then we go back with the Aang trio. And uh, Toph and Aang are fighting off the Dai Li. Uh, I'm not sure where Sokka is at this time. <laughs> Poor guy.
0: Well, this um, is one of those moments where there's a bunch of benders, and Sokka just sits back, and it's like, you guys do your bending stuff.
1: Yes. <laughs> he'll, he'll make a plan or something. So Azula easily deflects one of Toph's attacks, Uh, And so she sends Earth flying at Azula, um, but Azula is able to, like, jump off of it and land smoothly. Uh, And the Dai Li are eventually, though, subdued by Aang and Toph. So Aang is able to chase after Azula, who kind of flees into the hallways behind the chamber. And there's just this sweet scene of Azula, like parkouring (laughs) off of structures off of broken pillars, like sliding down walls and wall kicking. Um, Clearly she is advanced kind of in every fighting technique.
0: Well, what I like about this is that like, she is this powerful firebender and we know that she's powerless right now because of the eclipse in that way, but that's not the only thing that she has. So um, interesting moment in these, in, in this scene, like, who does she look like when she's doing this? She looks like Tai Lee. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like she's as much of an acrobat as Tai Lee is, you know, or at mm-hmm. least has learned some of the acrobatics that Tai Lee has. Tai Lee's not a bender, but, but that's part of her power. And it's like, Oh, Azula has part of that too.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen many, um, like East Asian samurai movies. Uh, but I have seen some scenes. I've seen like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, you know, and it does remind me of like the, Being soft on your feet, like floating through the air, looking like you don't even need to touch the ground like that is the effortlessness by which Mm -hmm. Azula is able to run through and um, and kind of like create this chase scene. So um, Aang says to Toph as they're running after Azula, I can't pin her down. She's too quick. But they chase her into this dark hallway And um, Sokka begins to plead for Aang and Toph to wait. He's running and huffing and puffing behind them. And he says, stop attacking because Azula is playing with you. He says, she's not even trying to win this fight. And at this, Azula stops to listen from some distance away and says, not true, I'm giving it my all. But Toph accuses her of wasting their time. And Azula says, since you can't see, I should tell you I'm rolling my eyes. And Toph says, I'll roll your whole head. And Sokka tells them to keep ignoring her. Like she continues to bait them. She's continuing to get them angry, riled up, and distracted.
0: This is one of the best things that they do in this episode narratively, which is there is this convention. um, I know it's sort of famous in like James Bond movies. And then I'm not sure where it gets. There's definitely a piece of culture where like a parody kind of thing where somebody calls it out. And it's this idea of, like, the villain's monologuing. It's like they have the the villain has captured James Bond or Batman. It's just like this is a trope, right? And then instead of just killing the person, right, they make this long speech where they also lay out their whole plan and explain it. And basically, narratively, what's happening is they're giving this person time to figure out how to break out. And it's just like, and it's one of those frustrating things with villains where you're like, why don't you just, like, cut this person's head off or do whatever. Like why, why is it, why do you insist on monologuing? And Mm. then, you know, and, and and I, again, I can't remember what it is where, where this gets called out, but there's, there's definitely something. And then this really just becomes a trope. What we get here is this example of Azula monologuing Mm. instead of confronting this or that, she's just talking and talking and talking, but instead of it being a, like a flaw, for azula because she's brilliant it's actually it is her whole strategy which is i need to run the clock out i need to run the clock out on these eight minutes and if i can keep monologuing and keep like baiting them in this direction i will run the clock out and then all of a sudden you know they they will have forgotten that there was a that there was a, a a window of opportunity and she just needs to run that out i think that's such a brilliant play off the idea of monologuing
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, and to be like, and to your earlier point, too, it's like it's not even just to keep them away from the Fire Lord to keep the Fire Lord safe, but it's also to keep her safe so that the Fire Lord doesn't know that Aang's alive, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. she is so ahead of everyone. So the three of them then, you know, realize that she is baiting them. They walk in the opposite direction, but Azula says, so, Sokka's your name, right? My favorite prisoner used to mention you all the time. And Sokka stops and spins around. And she says, she was convinced you were going to come rescue her. Of course, you never came and she gave up on you. And we see Sokka start to cry. Tears are streaming down his face. And without a word, he charges after Azula and he's screaming at her. And Azula shifts her arm. And she's secretly holding a blade that only we can see. But Toph senses the metal click of the blade and uh, sends Earth flying to slam Azula's hand against the wall and hold her there. So it's like both her arms are shackled in Earth to the wall, and there's no Dai Li this time to get her out. And Sokka pushes Azula against the wall and yells in her face, "Where is Suki?"
0: Okay, so we talked about how Azula is like has some of the acrobatics of Tai Li. Who did you think of when Azula pulls out this little like blade thing?
1: I don't know. Wait, who?
0: Isn't that like May? I mean, May is always like throwing. So it's like she has she knows what May's style as well. True. I start okay. to understand their friendship a little bit d- differently.
1: <laughs> yeah, like they're all just training together. Yeah. Or it's also interesting to be like maybe Azula doesn't really need either of them. Like she can kind of do all of those things. Uh but she also likes to just control people. <laughs> like yeah, I part think of she was likes- just
0: yeah she likes to have a yeah she likes to have a crew so she can kind of have people she's in charge of and she definitely uses them um you know uses them to to her tactical advantage but it Mm. just in these little moments it sort of points to like oh she has power that uh or has abilities that i i was not fully aware of
1: yeah i mean the girl is taking down i mean she's holding her own against an earthbender master and like an airbender master while she does not have bending, like that's bold. And she knows that she can handle it. So then we go back to Zuko and Ozai. Um, so I'll be Zuko again here. Zuko says, after I leave here today, I'm going to free uncle Iroh from his prison and I'm going to beg for his forgiveness. He's the one who's been a real father to me.
0: That's just beautiful. Maybe he can pass down to you the ways of tea and failure.
1: But I've come to an even more important decision. I'm going to join the Avatar, and I'm going to help him defeat you.
0: Since you're a full-blown traitor now, and you want me gone, why wait? I'm powerless. You've got your swords. Why don't you just do it now?
1: Because I know my own destiny. Taking you down is the Avatar's destiny. And at this, Zugo returns his swords to his sheaths, and he turns and says goodbye, and begins to walk away. But Ozai then stands up.
0: Coward, you think you're brave enough to face me, but you only do it during the eclipse? If you have any real courage, you'll stick around until the sun comes out. Don't you want to know what happened to your mother?
1: And Zuko at this had reached the door, but he stops and turns back to Ozai and Ozai smiles.
0: So much to talk about here. For one thing, Ozai is also monologuing in the same way his daughter is. It's like, okay, well, let's, uh, let's just, what can I, it it is the exact example of when Azula says, mention Suki. It's like... Mm. Zuko Suki is his mother it's like that's the that's the thing you can always hook back into him to pull him back uh pull him back in yeah there's so much else to talk about here um Um, I go ahead
1: Iroh he's gonna go free Iroh I mean like you kind of assume that that's the trajectory here but like made me feel so good that this is finally happening for Iroh
0: well and, and and even not only is he gonna free him but I'm gonna free him and beg beg him for forgiveness And then he just says, he's been like a father to me. Like he's Mm -mm. acknowledging all the stuff that we knew that I don't know that he's ever, he's ever said those things to Iroh.
1: Mm -hmm. It's also also, interesting. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I also love the line of teach you the ways of tea and failure.
1: That's what I was going to say too. Like it's funny, but at the same time, um, thinking about Ozai and Iroh, like... uh, (laughs) Ozai hasn't done that much. Like, it was this whole, the, the Fire Nation was gifted to him. It shouldn't have been his. Uh, and in terms of, like, successes, like military or political or otherwise, he, I mean, he just doesn't seem to be doing much, don't you think?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that, that I, I think that line embedded in there is, we should notice how little Ozai gets it. Because, again, he is, just like before, he's saying, teach you the ways of T and failure, as if that's, like, a slam on Iroh. When I actually think, oh, that's actually, he's like, Zuko should say, yes, exactly, (laughs) T and failure, because, I mean tea is not just like something to drink. I mean, I think Ozai has tea next to him as something to drink while he's passing the time in this bunker, but for Iroh, it's a way, I mean, it it seems to have a meaning beyond that, right? It's about finding, it's about finding this, this art that you love, right? It's about Mm -hmm. finding things you love in the world. It's also about this thing, which slows your life down a little bit, that it's not always about pressing and pressing and pressing forward, but that, that it is about like, um, taking in the world around you and even and then and i even think failure is like like iro's greatest strength may be that he embraces loss and failure right that yeah that i mean he allows himself to be captured he allows these certain things to happen to him over the course of the whole run of this show that it's he sometimes realizes that in losing you actually win yeah and that and that in giving up these quests for your honor and things like that, like that, actually becomes the beginnings of your victory. You know, I mm-hmm. I also wrote in my in my um in my notes I wrote lose well, which is one of <laughs> one of uh one of our favorite books from one of our favorite uh, comedians Chris Gethard. But that is a that is also like a a story about how understanding and embracing failure can lead to some really great things.
1: Hmm. I also I love all of that. I also think another thing embedded in that in tea and failure is relationship too. If we think about when Iroh is drinking tea, it is around people that he cares about. It is to draw someone like Toph into his circle of acquaintances and even friends, uh, like a person to trust and give advice to. It's the way that he would uh, start his training with Zuko, um, end his training with Zuko. Like it's all about relationship and also how iroh or how um ozai is looking at iroh is he is a bunch of he's a string of failures but he doesn't even realize that the biggest success of iroh is that he is able to be a father to zuko when uh that's something that ozai has failed at himself so it's Mm -hmm. like if this whole conversation if we're thinking all the way from the start when zuko says you don't love me like that's one of ozai's biggest failures and iroh's biggest successes
0: talk to me about the destiny stuff
1: Ooh, uh, is this is this the first time that he... Hmm, I don't know. What do you think? What are your thoughts on it?
0: I just found it so interesting that, that I mean, he's been, people have been telling him, and when I say people, I really mean Iroh, and, and Azula a little bit at the end of season two about sort of what his destiny is mm. and what he's supposed to be. This might be the first time he's shifted away from like, my destiny is about restoring my honor and these types of things and he's realizing that like he has a destiny and he's he at least states that he knows his own destiny and he says like defeating you is not my destiny Mm. which is interesting because what he's also saying is like that's what the avatar is supposed to do what i'm supposed to do is not that which means it also frees him from the tension of this relationship to be like yeah you think you think this is about you and people defeating you. He's like, that's not even what I'm called to. Mm -hmm. So like, that's somebody else. Now I'm going to go help that person, (laughs) but I'm going to help that person in lots of ways. Not just, I'm going to help that person destroy you. Yeah. But he real, yeah.
1: It's almost like a, you're not worth it. That's, that's kind of how I took it too. It's like, you're not worth the effort because someone out there, like you're someone else's thing. You're someone else's problem. And like, that is again, cutting down at Ozai's, (laughs) Mm self-importance at his ego and uh again is when we hear mark hamill giving him a huge rise in anger is -hmm. like that's when he stands up that's when he yells coward um because he can't handle not being the uh, the center of importance for zuko for determining zuko's destiny
0: i'm glad you mentioned that because i want to read what he says here because it's fascinating to think about he says coward you think you're brave enough to face me but you'll only do it during the eclipse. If you had any real courage, you'd stick around until the sun comes out. So he's saying like, you know, you're a coward because you only want to do this when I'm weak. And he's like, but if you pay attention, he actually is like, yeah, I'm not going to kill you when you're weak. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk to you, but I, but I could kill you right now. That, That's how uncowardly he is. And he's like, like if he was a coward in, in, in uh, Ozai's eyes, he would have taken those swords and taken his head off. Yeah. But Ozai, Ozai is, is still even thinking about like, you're a coward that you're here doing this. And it's like, it, I find that so interesting just how like convoluted um, Ozai's logic even is on a lot of these things.
1: Right. Yes. Um, and it's a testament to Zuko too, that he's able to see through that. Like he, I think that, I mean, we know that the voice of his mother is always in there and Iroh. So like, I think that he is able to concentrate away uh, what Ozai is saying, calling him coward, saying like uh, trying to come up against him. But the one thing that does turn him around is his mother.
0: I would love to see somebody who,
1: <coughs> hmm.
0: somebody who did, like uh, family therapy, (laughs) you know, like talk about the way people are talking to each other in this scene. It would be really, really interesting Mm. um, because it feels like whoever wrote this kind of understands dysfunction pretty well. Yeah. Because like people aren't talking about the things they're talking about and people are making these weird, faulty arguments, but not even necessarily calling each other out on that. I find it really Mm. interesting.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, um, people who know about that and abuse, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we get this transition scene, and it's a quick shot of the total eclipse, but the moon is passing, and it's revealing the sun bit by bit. And so time is running out. And Zuko says, what happened that night?
0: My father, Fire Lord Azulon, had commanded me to do the unthinkable to you, my own son. And I was going to do it. Your mother found out and swore she would protect you at any cost. She knew I wanted the throne and she proposed a plan, a plan in which I would become fire Lord and your life would be spared.
1: Okay. So with this, uh, some answers and a lot more questions, Mm -hmm. right? So how did Zuko's mother find out? Did Azula tell her?
0: I assume, I assume so. It seemed to be set up that way. If you pay attention to the, in the, in Zuko alone, she is teasing Zuko about it as as the mother comes in and then Mm -hmm. she takes Azula out and says, I need to talk with you. Mm -hmm. So I'm presuming that Azula did, Mm -hmm. but even that version of Azula is like working angles. So why did she do that? Uh, Yeah.
1: Yes. Also, so it's implied by this, but it's not really stated. Like you were saying, it's like these vague things are kind of stated. It's implied that maybe she she killed Fire Lord Az- Azulon.
0: Well, we're going to get another scene where we're going to get even more uh, implied. Mm. So maybe we should wait till we get to that.
1: True. So we go back to um, the other monologue <laughs> uh, with the Aang trio and Azula. And Sokka yells in Azula's face, where's Suki? Answer me. And Aang puts his arm slowly on Sokka's shoulder and tells him she's not going to talk. But Sokka continues to yell and just scream at her.
0: And it's a great image of how effective what Azula's doing is. Mm. Because is the one who pointed it out and then he can't he can't escape it, right? Because she's mm-hmm. she's playing off of this thing that he loves so dearly. Or this person he loves so dearly.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, back to the dialogue. Sam, you ready?
0: Yes. So, Ozai says, your mother did vicious, treasonous things that night. She knew the consequences and accepted them. For her treason, she was banished.
1: So, she's alive? Perhaps.
0: Now I realize that banishment is far too merciful of a penalty for treason. Your penalty will be far steeper.
1: And the moon continues to move uh, and reveal more of the sun. And Ozai, which shows how powerful he is, that from deep down in a mountain in a metal bunker, he is able to sense that his power is coming back from the sun. And he leaps from the throne and in a split second shoots lightning straight at Zuko. Who grabs the lightning bolt, holds it in his two hands again in a second uh, as the stream continues from Ozai to Zuko. And I thought this was very reminiscent of Palpatine scenes in Star Wars mm-hmm. and like the stream of the lightning coming between uh, two individuals on the opposite sides of the room. Like that must have been in the back.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: that must have been what they were thinking about. Um, Zuko lifts his hands. Uh, two fingers pointing out like a gun and redirects the lightning stream at his father who falls backward and rams into the fire nation banner behind him, which crumples burnt onto him. And the area around the throne is ablaze. And when we look through Ozai's eyes, we see that Zuko has fled. Okay. Okay, Again, a lot going on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's start with, with what is said here. So Ozai says, your mother did vicious treasonous things that night. She knew the consequences and accepted them. For her treason, she was banished. Mm. So it is definitely implied that she, um, I mean, what would be, I mean, we know that Azulan dies so that she kills Azulon. But a couple things to think about here. How reliable of a narrator is a mm. monologuing Ozai at this point? <laughs> right? I mean, he is objectively a bad person uh, and a bad parent who's willing to uh, do almost anything to his son at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that he literally is willing to do almost anything to his son later in this scene. So I don't know that we can trust that this is true. Um, And let's even say, let's say it was as simple as the vicious treacherous thing she did was she went in and killed a Zulon. That mm-hmm. still wouldn't make Ozai Fire Lord though. There had to be something else because, um, because Iroh was, is the older brother and heir to the throne. So there's more machinations going on there that we don't necessarily aren't privy to. Even if she did kill a Zulon, mm-hmm. I'm, I presume she, it's not as simple as that. Um, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have been, it could have been that she, um, she heard what let's assume Azula told her and that she confronted Ozai and Ozai laid out this plan for a power play for, for the, for the throne and that she left. Mm. It could have been that. And that could be vicious and treacherous to Ozai to say, like, how could you abandon us? I mean, how could you abandon your emperor and your future? emperor? I mean, there's, there's lots of things like it's, it's hard to know what, I mean, it, there's definitely the same implication that she, that she kills Azulon, but I don't know that we can trust anything that's being said here. I don't know that we can trust that she was banished. I don't know that Mm. we can trust that she's still alive. I know for Zuko's sake, you want her to be still alive, but um, that would be really—that would be a really interesting thing to confront or to encounter in these last, you know, nine episodes. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm glad you mentioned the—the the fact that this is coming from Ozai, especially when we're thinking about what he says. After that, he says, now I realize the banishment is far too merciful a penalty for treason. Your penalty will be far steeper. So he's equating what Zuko is doing here to the vicious treasonous things that Ursa did uh, to Azulon or to the Fire Nation. And if that's the case, if it's a similar amount of treason, like <laughs> Zuko didn't kill anyone, you know, like he, he didn't, you know, like. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious. Maybe it's just Ozai. I mean, who knows? Like, it is probably just Ozai talking, right? Like, <laughs>
0: well, yeah. Let's assume she was banished, though. Who banished her? Azulon right. would be dead, right? Yeah. We're assuming. So, does that mean Ozai banished her for treason?
1: Right, and it's like, who but is like somebody. Let's get
0: our heads around that. If she did something to help him take the throne, and then he banishes her, like, I I don't know what to make of this.
1: Right, and um. And the person who stands who potentially stood the most to gain from Azula on leaving, I mean, other than obviously Zuko for having his life, but like Ozai wants the throne. Mm-hmm. So is it something where he made his wife a scapegoat? Uh and you know, for, mm-hmm. for his gain, uh and made up this story around it. Like the only people that really seem to know more of the story are Ozai and Azula, and neither of them are very trustworthy.
0: Right. And we don't know what Azula knows.
1: <laughs> yeah. She was like six.
0: Well, and like, why would he tell her the truth about what happened? Right, right. I think Ozai's is the only person who knows. Actually, I think Ozai and potentially Iro, because mm-hmm. Iro seems like somebody who knows stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's all that I can. I mean, I, I would I would venture to say those are the only two people who know at this point.
1: It makes me wish that there was an entire episode about what happened but i also really appreciate that the writers have slowly revealed it bit by bit over like 30 episodes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that like we're only getting glimpses of this one scene uh that's like all in sapia tone and, like it's building out bit by bit. and i hope that by the end we get it more fleshed out or at least it in, seems like some avatar lore somewhere it, there's answers for us
0: it seems like because th- they keep coming back to this and this seems like a central uh motivational point for zuko it would be weird to not have this mystery answered or resolved Mm -hmm. in the same way it would be weird if at this point there was nothing more about suki if she just like oh yeah we're just we're done talking about that because again for Sokka, that seemed like a central thing in the same way it would be weird if like ang and katara and whatever that relationship is going to be if they just decided yeah we're not going to address that anymore it's like well that would be weird because you you sure seem to invest a lot in this as kind of a a central motivating point
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i feel like those are histories we're going to know i don't know that we'll ever learn much more about Iroh backstory i would love it but i don't know if we're going to learn more about that um except for his white lotus connection that seems like the only thing we necessarily need to know more about. But that's yeah. maybe more about White Lotus than it is about Iroh.
1: Right. Right. For sure. So then the second part of the scene is uh, um, lightning. Uh, and Zuko is able to redirect lightning, which he hadn't have, he wasn't able to do uh, successfully during Iroh's training with him in season two. Although Thoughts? he en-
0: he ends that episode up on the mountains screaming at the lightning to attack him. So we don't know what we don't know what happened there mm-hmm. or if it's the kind of thing where he knew the technique in theory from Iro, but this is the first time he's actually been able to to try it. And in the moment, he turns out he was able to do it. Uh, it's yeah. also the first time we've seen Ozai use lightning, right?
1: Mm. Yes. I mean, we've yes. seen Azula
0: do it, but I don't know that we've ever seen Ozai do it.
1: I don't think we've ever seen him bend, have we? Like anything.
0: Uh, I think Have in we- the Agni Kai, like oh, true. weird flashbacks. We, ass- I mean, he bends yes. there. Yeah.
1: Um, I love this episode because it is really pretty Irocentric without having. I mean, spoiler, but without having any Iro dialogue in it, it's mm-hmm. so, like in the background of all this Ozai and Zuko conflict is Iro's beliefs, like his philosophy and also his training. And mm-hmm. so I went back to season two and found what Iroh said to Zuko when he was teaching him on how to redirect lightning, which was something that Iroh had discovered on his own, right? He was like, even Azula doesn't know how to do this. This is my thing. So he says, waterbenders deal with the flow of energy. A waterbender lets their defense become their offense, turning their opponent's energy against them. I learned a way to do this with lightning. And Zuko says, you can teach me to redirect lightning. And Iroh responds, if you let the energy in your body flow, the lightning will follow it. You must create a pathway from your fingertips up to your arm, to your shoulder, then down into your stomach. The stomach is the source of energy in your body. It is called the sea of chi. Only in my case, it is more like a vast ocean. Um, So some thoughts on he wasn't able to do this before. Now he is able to do it. To me, the description that Uh, that Ira was giving seems very similar to the balance that Aang is trying to reach for to get into the avatar state, right? Mm -hmm. Like opening up the chakras, uh, unclogging your body, like having this stream of energy, this like cleansing through your body. Um, Otherwise I'm trying to think of like what other, what else could have brought him from not being able to do this last season to now being able to, what do you think?
0: I mean, I, I honestly think he, I don't know that he ever was able to try it mm. because Iro said, I mean, if we keep going with that scene, he's like, okay, shoot lightning at me. And Iro's like, I'm not going to shoot lightning at you. So I don't know that we knew he couldn't. Iroh mm. maybe sensed there's no way you're going to be necessarily ready.
1: Sure. Yes. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't produce lightning. That right. Was
0: the That's big, the thing yes, he couldn't okay. do. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Um. But, yeah, it's interesting to me that, like, in it is, like, a balance that he has to create. And uh, um, he's never been a very balanced person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's always been extremes. And so now we have a moment when he's faced with his father who is experiencing extremes of, like, anger, extremes of, like, hatred towards his son. And then to be able to respond in moderate, in, in balance is, like... I think one of the biggest moments of growth we can see in Zuko so far.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, he would, he seems not driven. It's funny. Cause it's such an emotional scene, but he seems not driven by emotion here. Mm. Cause like, yeah. he, this you know, like like he seems to, like he is, um, he is speaking pretty clearly and pretty simply to his father. And his father seems like this huge well of emotion and it's you know and it's lashing out and these types of things but zuko's just like no i'm not gonna do that this is this is my destiny here's what i'm gonna do and he's ready to just walk away and i think the ability to walk away shows that he's not overrun uh, and not caught up in the waves of emotion of that moment
1: mm-hmm. i also like the imagery of the fire nation banner falling down mm-hmm. and crumbling and burning i feel like yeah that seems prophetic.
0: Well, and it, it also is interesting that it's like they have faced off once before in the Agni mm. Kai. Uh, and clearly Ozai won that. Um, this sure seems like Zuko won this encounter.
1: Yeah. Oh, what if Ozai got a scar from it?
0: Well, that'd be rad. I don't think that happened, but right? that would be cool. No,
1: but it would be. Okay, so then we go back with the trio. And Azula says, oh, sounds like firebending's back on. And with her arms still in the earth chains on the wall, she kicks her feet and uh, like strikes lightning balls at Sokka from her feet. And the three friends are able to evade her attack and sh- uh, but she breaks out of her bonds anyway. And she says, dad's all the way up at the end of the hall then down a secret stairway on the left. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to see you now. And she sprints away into the darkness. And Sokka's frustrated. He admits that he was duped But Aang and Toph say it wasn't his fault that Azula was ready and had it planned out. Aang says he can still face the Fire Lord, but Sokka disagrees. And Aang says, I'm ready. I came here with a job to do and everyone is counting on me. And Toph says, the Fire Lord knew we were coming. We thought we had surprise on our side, but we didn't. It just wasn't our day. And they agree to help their friends. And Sokka says that Aang will have to uh, have another chance, another day to fight the Fire Lord.
0: I really like that. Moment because <clears throat> there is this sense in stories like this that there is this this is your one, this is the one opportunity, this is the last stand. And, um, life is not particularly like that. Life is not, mm. hopefully, not particularly dominated by one moment, you know, one choice, one opportunity, but that uh, it feels like it in the moment. But there is this sense that there will be another day, um, and that that. It's 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 an interesting like repeat of the scene from beginning of the beginning of this episode where they're all sitting around kind of weighing what does the Fire Nation know what what have we risked and what will we continue to risk and now it's like they're turning back on the idea of well we have all of these other people who are at risk right now because now that yeah. the eclipse is over the Fire Nation is ready to strike back so it's there's this shift in um, what their priorities are.
1: I think it also pairs well with uh, the first episode of this two-parter when we have Sokka's growth and how the advice given to Aang now by Sokka and Toph is what Aang gave to Sokka, right? Like, public speaking isn't everyone's thing. Like, it's actually really hard, and this isn't the only time that you can prove yourself. Like, there's another day, you know, or there's oh, another absolutely. time. And it's like, now now Aang needs that advice, too. It, there's another day, there's another time. So then outside the palace, Hakoda and Bato are questioning their next steps as the eclipse finally comes to an end. And from behind the palace, we see a half a dozen of the Mechanist's military balloons rise up into the sky, but they have Fire Nation insignias and firebenders on board each of them. And the Mechanist says, my own invention, oh, this is terrible. And I was like, "Come on, duh!" Like we we knew this was going to happen, right, Sam?
0: Well, not only that, they were they've been fighting against these tanks that he invented. So it's not like this is even the first time today they've been attacked by his own inventions.
1: <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, "All right, mechanist, this isn't about you." Like, right? <laughs> this doesn't need to be your your trauma. <laughs> uh, but the, behind the balloons, then we see a half a dozen giant airships also rise up, and they're so, just mammoths.
0: So these are more like like blimps yeah yeah
1: yeah airship makes it sound like sleek these are huge things in this way
0: yeah they're they're bigger than the, the the hot air balloons and um so what's interesting about this is these were clearly we assume not created by the mechanist because mm-hmm. the, the hot air balloon was the big invention uh but i presume this was a, an advancement of the technology he created they took those ideas and said okay now let's maximize this and build these bigger dirigibles
1: mm-hmm. um so then the ang trio with uh, momo on top of apa they fly towards hakoda Bato, and katara And they're silent, and they're sensing this doom with the oncoming offensive. They see these, we're going to call them blimps. Mm -hmm. Blimps from now on. We see the blimps and the balloons. And as Appa lands, Sokka jumps off and tells his family that it was all a trap. And that Azula had plotted out every single move. And Sokka says that they have to retreat to the beach, to the submarines. And Aang responds, they've got air power, but so do I. I'm going to do what I can to slow them down. And Katara climbs on to Appa to help, and the rest of the soldiers, led by Sokka, retreat then towards the beach, towards the submarines.
0: Now, what's interesting is there is um, I'm always interested in stories where the most like valiant thing you can do is retreat. Mm. You know, it makes me think of uh, a story like the story of Dunkirk, where Mm -hmm. it really is about like how do we get out of here, or how do we, you know, or the story of. uh uh, from xenophon uh, about i'm blanking on the names it's the war the movie the warriors is an updated version of this story but i'm I'm, but it's xenophon is the um is the, the 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 greek historian writing about this but where like the the valiant thing isn't it's not about winning this war it's about how do we how do we escape and not lose everyone I, I like stories like that because there, there is this sort of sense of like, to go back to our ideas about failure, right. Is like the, there is, there can be heroism even in, even in failure.
1: Yeah. Yes. And the idea, yeah. The idea that, I mean, this whole thing is what happens when all everything that we are working towards doesn't work out. Like we adapt, we get out of it. Right. And it's like, there will be another day. And mm-hmm. that's, that's this entire thing. That is what retreat is for them today. So then in the sky, Aang glides towards the first balloon, um, dodging fireballs. I guess Appa's also dodging fireballs from behind. Um, and he does this sick move where he collapses the glider into a spear and tosses it through the balloon and then flies underneath and grabs the glider on the other side of the balloon. And the balloon falls to the earth from the puncture, which I almost wrote in my notes. Those guys are dead, but right. it can be applied. Yeah. <laughs> And then Katara water whips another balloon in half as, uh, she rides on Appa and flies by it. Uh, also going into the water and Appa and Aang soar towards the airships, dodging fire. Katara is able to bend water to stop fireballs from hitting Appa, but she's overwhelmed by all of them. And she turns to Aang and yells, we can't keep them all back. There are too many of them. So they fly off back towards Hakoda and the crew, Uh, to try to uh, help them usher to safety.
0: Now, this is interesting, and I don't want to nitpick here, but I guess it will be a little nitpicky. It's like there's like six of the big blimps and then like eight of the other ones, right?
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So it's like there's a lot, but there's not that many. And it seems like they were able to dispense with a couple of those pretty quickly. I feel like they give up... pretty fast on like, we can't take these out. Well, you just took them from 14 down to 12. It's like, just do that again. I mean, and I realized like, that's not the point. And, and yes, they're, they're taking heavy, heavy fire, but it, it is interesting how it feels like how quickly they're like, well, we can't do this. You know, I wish, I wish we would have seen those blimps, the black blimps as like more impenetrable or something where there's just, or, or, but this is going to become an issue for later or have them be so fast or something mm-hmm. where it's like there's a reason they can't take those out. The 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 hot air balloons seem easy to take out.
1: Yeah, especially when they so effortlessly did that. Like it, the way that they took down the balloons were was super cool. So mm-hmm. it's like the yeah, the continuity there. It's like they are they're too quickly uh, adopting the spirit of defeat.
0: <laughs> right. And and um they're so fast and maneuverable and the air sh- the the Fire Nation airships aren't. Yeah. Like they're they're hot air balloons and blimps. Like you can't turn those things on a dime, and they're on apa or on a glider. It just feels like, oh, I think we could take take out more of that.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: It's yeah. also interesting in hindsight, isn't it interesting that you have the mechanist and there's all these things that he made. Why is Teo not flying in this episode?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, I know why, because they don't have... The gliders only work with the special air shot up around the thing. I was going to say, that's oh. right. He can't just fly. Never mind.
1: <laughs> I forgot about that, too. Yeah, like up in the temple, yeah. in the air yeah. temple. Yeah, yep. yeah. No, you're right. That yeah. is just
0: about those drafts. That's right.
1: We did need more Teo in this episode, though. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah. say. So then we get back in the palace grounds, and we see Zuko racing to the prison and through its hallways. And he reaches Iroh's cell and says, Uncle? But no one is there. The bars are basically entirely gone. They're like broken, bent in half. And the, the terrible guard from before lays unconscious on the floor. And Zuko shakes awake the guard frantically, asking where his uncle is. And the guard said, he's gone. He's busted himself out. I've never seen anything like it. He was a one-man army. You go, Iroh.
0: Now, it's right? so interesting. We've been wondering, how is Iroh going to escape? Um, and we've had all kinds of theories about, was it going to be the Angang prison break? Was it going to be Zuko breaking him out? Was it going to be the white Lotus? And clearly we weren't paying attention because we have this whole scene where he gets himself into this amazing physical shape, mm. which again, doesn't matter for fire right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to be, Iroh's already shown us. He, he doesn't need to be in great, but it didn't occur to me that during the eclipse, all of his guards would be powerless, and he all of a sudden would be just this is massive physical force.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I kind of feel dumb not having thought of that.
1: <laughs> and it's you and I had spent so much time talking about all the epic ways this could happen, and yet it happened, and we didn't even get any airtime. We didn't get to right. see him break out. Uh, which I kind of like that, though. I kind of do, too. It's growing on me. At first, I was like, oh, man, I really wish it was a, a fun... Heist or like prison break thing, but I would I would have liked this way.
0: Well, I would have liked if I could have changed it, I would have liked it to be it's so clear that he just used his strength to like break through those and then was able to martial arts his way out where people couldn't bend. Yeah. I would have love to have seen the prison cell empty and that kind of be this mysterious thing and have it be a little more Shawshanky where it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this whole time he was doing all of these things. Now the eclipse could still matter because it's like they were powerless, but that there was like a little, and maybe, maybe there will be, maybe it isn't just, maybe we will get a moment where they talk to Iroh and we see a flashback of him doing it. And it's actually way more interesting the way that he got out. Mm -hmm. That's possible. But I think it's probably more likely uh, he just overpowered his way out.
1: Right. I do kind of like that we don't see him this whole episode, though. I think that does play well. It's like he's a ghost behind everything Mm -hmm. that's happening with Zuko and Ozai. um, So that even Zuko doesn't get to see him and we as an audience don't get to. I think that was some smart writing.
0: And it's great the way this episode ends because we don't see him. So, like, we just know he's now free. But it's not like we have Iroh and Zuko together. So now Zuko gets to be in this position of, he's already said he's going to join the avatar. And he also said he's going to free his uncle and apologize and all these things. So it's like, so which path is he going to take? Is he going to try to go join the avatar or is he going to try to find his uncle?
1: Right. Exactly. I never thought about that. So then um, outside Sokka is leading the invasion force back down the mountain path and they start to near the shore And as Appa and Katara and Aang land beside Sokka, the blimps are rising overhead. And Sokka says, try and find cover. I think we're about to see some bombs. And the blimps fly overhead and they drop bombs as earthbenders create these makeshift shelters for Appa, for everyone from the earth. Uh, But the blimps just pass them by and they head for the shore to take out the submarines. And Sokka puts his fist together and bows and he says, our only choice is to stand and fight. We have the avatar. We could still win. And Hakoda responds, yes, with the avatar, we could still win on another day. And Hakoda tells the In gang to escape, but Katara refuses to leave anybody behind, uh, which is just classic Katara, right? Keep the family together. And she especially doesn't want to leave her father, who is now injured as well. And Hakoda says that they have to keep Aang safe. That maybe like, that's their destiny, right? To keep Aang safe, to get him to his end battle. And uh, he says, it's the only way to keep hope alive.
0: Which is an Bato- interesting loaded statement because we've talked a lot about hope. We've talked a lot about Aang brings hope, Katara brings hope.
1: Yes. And then it's funny that the next sentence is Bato deciding that the youngest fighters are going to join Aang and the adults must surrender and face imprisonment, which is just, a, uh, I mean, another idea of like, we need to keep hope alive. We are the old guard. Right? Like we have we have fought. We have seen our time. We know that like the hope is with the young people here. Which um, also which
0: is- parallels really interesting with that Zuko Ozai thing, right? Ozai is still trying to um, impress his power upon the younger generation, upon Zuko, mm-hmm. where here we have the parents saying... No, this is your time now. Let us, in essence, recede.
1: Yes, yes. It's also. I mean, we talk about how some episodes are about mothers, and this one is definitely about fathers. You see Hokota trusting his children. You see Hokota saying it's not about my greatness; it's about your greatness, or it's about the things, the potential that you have. Um, and that Ozai is—it's clearly uh, flipped entirely. Um, so Bato and uh, the old guard realize that they must surrender and face imprisonment. Um, but some of them feel okay about it. They know that they've faced it before, right? And they can make it through again. So at the shore, the swamp waterbenders are fighting to defend the subs, but they're quickly overtaken uh, by, by the blimps. And soon each sub is obliterated by bombs. And Sokka bows his head in agreement and uh, the kids then proceed to say goodbye to their parents, um, to their loved ones, and they board Appa. And I'm like, Appa, good for you, carrying like 10 people on your back. Right. Uh, um, Teo, we see Teo hug his father, tell him that he's proud. Of, uh, tell him that he's proud. Pipsqueak helps the Duke on board. Uh, Haru promises his dad that they're gonna come back for him. And his dad says, if we don't escape on our own first,
0: so what's interesting here is that the Duke, and he is referred to as the Duke the whole time. Pipsqueak <laughs> even says something like, goodbye, the Duke. Yeah. Not Duke. Um, that the Duke goes, but Pipsqueak doesn't. Because it sure seems like the Freedom Fighters are all these sort of like lost boys. Right? Mm. And Jet has his Freedom Fighters. And Pipsqueak is this massive, and he has a very like adult look and adult voice. But it's like, what is he doing with this group of kids, I assumed that he was just like this person who genetically was like this huge, large lumbering, maybe not that bright person. Now are we to believe that he is not a child
1: I guess. and that he is
0: he's an adult or or when they say child, is it just like he's too big to ride on Appa? It's just very wow. interesting. Now, he definitely reads as an adult, but I had I always assumed that he was actually much younger than we thought.
1: yeah. I see how logistically it's like maybe maybe not another person on Opa, let alone Pipsqueak is large. So maybe that's like just the way the writers kind of did that. But yeah, I never thought about like, I thought that he was a teen maybe or like yeah. a young adult or maybe.
0: Even though none of him reads as that, it all reads as like. Like, uh, like Andre, the giant in the princess bride. Like he seems like he's in his forties or something and is like a long shoreman or something, but, but because he's with this group of kids, you assume. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we get one more goodbye. Um, Hakoda goes to his children and he says, we lost today, but we've never been this close. We tasted victory and that counts for something. And the three of them embrace, and Sokka promises that they won't be apart for too long this time. And then Katara finds Aang on board Appa, with Momo chittering nearby. And Aang is on all fours, and he's crying. He's ashamed. And he stands up, and he speaks to the adults and says, Thank you all for being so brave and so strong. I'm going to make this up to you. And then Aang sits down on Appa's neck, grabs the reins, Momo climbs onto his head and hugs him and Appa flies off with the children. So then the airships, the the blimps descend on the adults. We can assume that they were imprisoned. And we see Azula directing a pilot inside one of the blimps not to go after Aang. She says, they're too fast. Besides, it doesn't matter. They'll be back. And then aboard Appa, Aang tells his newer now larger crew, the new family, That he knows where they can go to be safe. The Western Air Temple. And then behind them. Rising into the clouds. Is one more solo hot air balloon. Zuko is chasing the Avatar once again.
0: This was a killer episode.
1: Mm, That last scene. Is so good.
0: Well, And what we get is. We get this reshuffling of the deck. I didn't think at this point we would expand the family that much. And if we did, I thought, well, maybe there'll be one other person. Like I was thinking, oh, well, maybe like Zuko or Iroh will be part of this crew somehow. Um, and we do get this sense that in some way Zuko is going to join them. But we also get all of these other characters that we knew. So we get Teo, the Duke, and Haru also as part of this. So it's like, it's fun to imagine the different combinations of characters we can have because because i doubt that there will be episodes where we have all seven or eight of them going and doing the same thing so instead i assume there will be like you know ang and the duke and teo go do something you know or like some weird combination of stuff and it's like that's what as a writer i wonder how exciting that was to be like oh we're we're wrapping up and now we have all these different combos that we can, we can have. We have, um, they don't, they add, they add another earthbender. You have Teo who is, uh, I'm trying to think he has a lot of spirit. I think, cause I'm trying to think of back to the Northern air temple episode. Yep. I think, is that the word that, that, um, Ang yeah, says,
1: I think it was like the, the air, he has spirit like or soul. Spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also has some uh, physical limitations, much like Toph has physical limitations, um, mm-hmm. but Teo's seem more pronounced. Um, mm-hmm. I presume the wheelchair is with him; otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't know how that will work. Um, and then we have uh, Pipsqueak, who is like, like the rest of the Freedom Fighters, not a bender, but seems like uh, good in a skirmish. You know, can kind of hold his own. So um, it's it's pretty exciting to think. You know uh to think kind of what this is going to look like now we also know we're going to the uh the western air temple um which is very exciting because we've been to the north the south and the eastern air temple now we're going to the last air temple um, which raises lots of questions like what are they going to encounter there Mm -hmm. um will anyone be following them there like, is there going to be a guru, like a, a guru sighting at the Eastern Air or at the Western Air Temple? Because Aang met him at the Eastern Air Temple. Um, there's it feels like there's lots of possibilities with this group. Do you have thoughts about them as a group, as a new family?
1: Um, it, I, I have hesitations because. I'm so used to the group that we had, right? So like, even just thinking back to when Toph joined the crew in season two, there was a part of me that was a little defensive that wanted to like, keep keep the crew we had, you know, like, why do we need to add to it? And then Toph was a great addition, but now it feels even more so where I'm kind of like, I liked the balance that we struck with the four of them and Momo and Ampa. And it's like, now when we have more and more, sometimes that can be a problem with writing. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it, it stretches things a little too thin or it yeah it can't get very deep and so i'm hoping that they do more pairings just so that like we can get some depth of some characters but i also don't want it to be like let's just spend a lot of time with the duke like right right the duke is good for like comic relief um so i'm sure that that'll be kind of his function but
0: i uh, i think he's another momo I mean, oh, with, yeah. without maybe as much significance as Momo seems to, it's it implied that Momo has. Um, yeah. I think, I think Teo unlocks part of, um, part of Sokka, mm. I think, and part of Ang, mm. Cause like Aang, Teo was the, one of the first people that Aang encounters, maybe one of the only people he encounters and is initially critical of him and has to get won over right mm-hmm. so so i feel like, like 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 teo has this connection to Sokka and to ang haru has a connection to um to katara mm-hmm. right um to the point where i think there are katara haru shippers um who i used to be part of and then i saw the mustache and i want better <laughs> for her um uh and i think the duke the duke is is going to be a momo but i think the duke will also be connected to toff i think we have the Mm -hmm. the 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 vomit helmet um connection already so i i think that's i think there's a potential like they've already have a moment where they fostered a bit of a relationship he also seems like the youngest toff also would be among the youngest so Um I think that that uh that would be really interesting to to see. So I think they all have the potential to unlock things in other characters, probably with the duke being the least of those.
1: Yep, for sure, for sure. So what are some what are some remaining questions? We talked last week about how we wanted to uh discuss some questions that like are kind of non-negotiables for us of like moving forward in the series. We only have what nine, nine. episodes left. Yep. So, what are some things we need answered? What are, and some of these questions are things I think will be probably dealt with soon, right? Like, where's Iroh? But that's mm-hmm. probably going to take care of that pretty soon. What's the Western Air Temple like? Like, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, I, I remember bits of it from when I watched it the first time, but I'm, I'm excited to see more. But, like, what are some things that you, you need the writers to address or you would like them to?
0: <sighs> well, I think we need, uh, we talked a little bit about this. I feel like the Ursa story we need like, that's a story that's just going to be told at some point for all we know, maybe Ursa. I mean, this opened the door up to Ursa's still alive, which would be crazy to think about. Um, mm. I don't know that we're going to get that, but, but I think that that story needs to be explained. The white Lotus needs to be explained. Um, and they have so moved away from it. If it had it not been, for the Sokka's Master episode, which is the only White Lotus mentioned in this season, I would have bought. Maybe that's just something we're not going to learn more about. And it was this group that Iro is somehow part of, but it's just this. There's this this kind of mythology about it, and we're not going to learn more. But because we know Piando is part of it, and like Saka now has this this tile, this White Lotus tile, that I assume like. I seem like they're going to be a major part of the end game of this episode. Mm. Um, Suki, you know, again, she came up this episode. That's one that we have to encounter at some point. Although um, I'm really curious. Uh, Like Azula strikes me as somebody who doesn't leave prisoners. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel weird saying like, she seems like somebody who would have just killed people. But I think that's true. I mean, she actually does seem like a... Like a genuine sociopath psychopath. So like Yeah. Although it's a kid show, so she's not gonna be dead. Yeah. But I feel like those are the ones that I feel like we need resolution on. Um mm-hmm. then there are other things that I would love to that I would be interested to know, like what other pieces are they gonna circle back? Right. Do you have thoughts?
1: Yeah. Um there's some some like bigger plot things that I would want them to talk about. Like is Aang always gonna be barred from entering the avatar state or can he ever open up the seventh chakra and, and like, is the damage irreversible? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, my guess on that, and I, I'll speculate because you've seen things, so you may know this. Um My guess on that is that I think the guru is going to play some role in mm. helping him unlock that. But the question is, when will that happen? I hope, and I assume It will either happen during the darkest moment, at towards the very end. Um, And but I actually hope it happens after um, after the climax, after they defeat the the Fire Lord, if whatever needs to happen, because Avatar State is such a like overpowered thing that it's like I don't want him to win through that. I could see them doing it, saying like he can't, he could only win if he can unlock it. And he can't unlock it until the very last moment. I would far prefer they found a way as a group and as a team to to do this without the Avatar State. But have it being permanent, I can't imagine. Because it seems like the Avatar State is this thing that might have deeper meaning. Mm Because it also seems like his bridge into the spirit world. Yeah. So I feel like the Guru is going to... um, or something is going to play a role into healing that. But it seems like yep. the guru is the character we know who has the potential to do that.
1: Yep, yeah. And I truly, I cannot remember how it ends in that way. So I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, another question I have, which uh, is maybe not as important, but why did Bumi say that Momo is important? And is that something we're reading into, or is that real? Like, no, it's real. This is like a Samwise type relationship, you know, where like Frodo's at the end and like Samwise is there and like helps him get out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if that's Momo.
0: I think now what's weird is if we go back to those early episodes, like the first half of season one, not only was there Momo is important. There was also a lot of Momo is important because Momo is Roku. Somehow there was so much like whenever Roku would come up, it would be like mm. cut to Momo. And that could be a weird red herring. They threw in weird choice. I still feel like he has an, uh, he has a further importance, mm. um, but I don't know. Um, I, I want it. I want it to circle back to some kind of connection with Roku. Mm. And that would be, awesome but i don't yeah. know that that's the case
1: yeah i'm gonna definitely be looking for i'm gonna be like reading into every momo moment <laughs> going forward
0: <laughs> he hasn't been in much yeah you know yeah. like he's he, you know like you really need to track him in the back of scenes um you know because like for some reason he flew up did he fly up there just to keep up company while Appa was waiting i don't know why he went up the mountain up the volcano with them you oh, know yeah yeah, it's it's kind of strange, know. maybe it's because it's safer there, but yeah, I don't like I would be fine if there was no deeper meaning to Momo other than it sure felt like they were seeding that really early.
1: agreed, um, some other questions. What happened to jet? like a definitive answer would be nice. <laughs> Can
0: I ask you? do you know? Um, yeah. Okay. So then I won't ask you to speculate. Cause, sure. cause, cause the, the, the question is, he's either, I mean, it's, he's either dead or alive. Like, that's an mm-hmm. obvious thing to say, but, um, I, I want him to be dead just because like, then it feels like stakes are real. Mm. I don't think that would happen. And actually I really, what I really want is smeller being long shot. To come back and if and, and one way to do that is to say, well, Jet died, but they're still like they're still on this freedom fighter thing. I think we'll probably see Jet again. But I don't know. My question for you, and again, it's if you know the answer, don't, you know, you can just pass on this, but like we've been talking a lot about stakes and life and death. Do you think we will see a major character that's not the fire lord? I'll even say that's not Azula. Die.
1: Mm. I'm going to answer this nope. diplomatically. Okay. <laughs> you know I'm very bad at remembering things. Uh-huh. Um, I truly. If there was. If there is, I won't. I won't say it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's I think that's it's just fair. gonna be a pass. I think it's just gonna yep.
0: be a pass. That's 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 probably for the best. Yeah. Like mm. I mean there so I'm gonna throw out some people who might die.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Iroh could die. You know, that would be really I mean, he's also very old, so like him passing into some sort of sense of peace would be really interesting. Um Jet could be dead, Hakoda definitely i think is a is a potential for somebody dying zuko's mom could be alive they could find her she dies um i'm trying to think of other um this is gonna be dark but like the duke (laughs) only because he seems like not that important like now they have this big group of people right and it's like well you have a big group of people and some of them are more meaningful than others. The Duke seems the least meaningful. So like narratively, like it wouldn't damage much to, to have him die, but then it could create some stakes. Um, I, I doubt that would happen. I mean, that seems like this is still a Nickelodeon show, but I'm trying to think of other people. I mean, I think a lot of fathers Tyro could die. Hakoda yep. could die. Bato could die. Those would all have different stakes to it. Um,
1: yep. Agreed. Um, uh, another question I have that is one that lingers since the start. And I know the series is called Avatar, the last airbender, but I do have the question of, are there any other airbenders? Cause I just so much want there to be one, Sam. Like, I don't think that there are, but like, I would really like it if there was, <laughs> wouldn't you? Um, Maybe not. I don't know. Well,
0: well, there is this question of like, how does this world continue if you actually wipe out a group of people? Mm. Like, so let's say Aang were to die. And let's say there weren't any more airbenders. The Avatar would move on to water, the water tribe. But like, eventually it's going to cycle back to the air the air nomads and there won't be any and how does the new avatar learn to airbend if there's no airbenders yeah so yep. um like and i don't know how like i'm using weird words like race that race and ethnicity because i don't know what words to use to talk about these different kingdoms or nations or things like this like let's say that the Katara shippers got their way and they have kids will those, those kids be potentially waterbenders? Would they be potentially airbenders? Yeah. Could it right. be either or? Could they be both? Like, does the fact that he is the last airbender, does that mean we're going to start to collapse the notion of these different elemental peoples? It actually raises some big questions. I mean, for the sake of of not having to answer that question, it would help if there were other airbenders to be like, oh, actually, they're not they're not t- we're not totally down to just this one person but let's say that they encountered um an airbender girl let's just say mm. would it be imperative for the future of society that ang m- like marry that person and have children with that person mm. to perpetuate airbenders mm. like that also feels like a different it's like there couldn't be just like one there would if you had enough where it's like actually there's like 10 airbenders then it's like okay well then ang can go do what he wants cuz he doesn't necessarily have a responsibility to you know to yeah. procreate with another airbender so yeah. again i i can't imagine the show's going to get into <laughs> that but it but it's an interesting question
1: yeah yeah I, yes for sure um,
0: uh, you have a question written here that I really am interested in because there are two characters we mentioned in this episode, but they're not in this episode. One of them we haven't seen for five or six episodes, which is you have written here. Where is Ty Lee and what happens to May now that Zuko has gone?
1: Yeah. Like the mean girls, what happens to them? I'm curious if Azula gets any kind of redemption story like Zuko does. I, she seems like a sociopath, so I feel, I feel like there won't be, but I mean, who knows? Um, Ty Lee, we haven't seen her since, since the
0: when? beach, the beach, the I beach think.
1: episode. Yeah. Um, so what is she doing? Like, why has she not been in the picture? Um, is that just because they don't have the time to develop scenes for her or is she doing something in the background? Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And it would, uh, the, the May question is interesting too, because now that, zuko has pushed his chips to the center of the table with the avatar where does that leave may in relationship to azula because does may now have to essentially choose okay which direction do i go what did zuko tell her in that letter um do may's loyalties lie with zuko do they lie with the fire nation do they lie with her family um Mm. yeah like i don't May seems like she's a developed enough character that we're going to get some answers to that. Tylee could just disappear. Although she might become more important as may, if may is not connected to Azula or maybe there's a divide between Azula and may and Tylee needs to pick sides with that Mm. would also be interesting. Azula's redemption. I can't imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just because they have paint, they have painted her as, in such an extreme and and they'ven't planted seeds at all of her being anything other than that. I actually think she's that I mentioned her in a characters who could die.
1: Uh yeah, uh I don't remember.
0: Okay. She seems like she cuz like it seems like her other option is either it's like redemption death or imprisoned. Yeah. And redemption seems unlikely. Yeah, and like it would be weird in this story if it's like this is actually about how everybody comes around. Although maybe that's the avatar doing his job well. Um, it could be that she dies, which I think would be would work fine. Imprison seems weird too, unless they're mm. seeding something for something going forward. You know that you all you have this like like the Joker imprisoned at the end of the Dark Knight, it's like, oh, okay, well, you can always bring this character back in some way. I'm curious to know how far Ozai makes it. I want to see Azula as Fire Lord. It's what I want. (laughs) You know, I want Azula to be the Fire Lord they need to face, which is what I kind of hoped was going to happen with the Eclipse, but um, I think that might be a little less likely now, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I agree that it wouldn't, It would be too much of a stretch to try to give her a redemption arc. It would be, it would be too unbelievable. I think at the same time though, I think about the beach and like, she had some pretty likable moments there.
0: But here's the, here's the thing. I think the thing that could have hooked her into turning and having this redeeming storyline, I mean, it would be something with realizations about what happened to her mother, but she seems to potentially already know and not care. Like, yeah, what does she true. care about other than power?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: Mm. So I just don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, and maybe I would love it. See, now I feel like I'd love it if they could do it, if they pulled it, if they actually could pull it off because it's like, I don't know. I don't know how you get there. Zuko always felt like you could get there because Zuko had Iroh. Right. Unless Iroh goes to work on Azula but I can't imagine that because I can't imagine her having any openness to that. Will we see, will we see Azula's teachers again? Do they have a further role to play? Her masters. I forgot about
1: them. Yes. Oh, good question.
0: Yeah. Like uh, there's, there's, there's so much, I, I feel like they managed to get through these episodes, make them great. And then it's like, I actually am in a place where I haven't felt it since probably season early season two or definitely season one which is like i don't know what happens next because we know sozin's comet is coming but they now they've already burned through their plan this invasion so like i don't even know i don't know what the fire nation's plan is with the comet i don't know what ang's plan is all i know is that all those people are imprisoned in the fire nation now and so like it feels like they have opened the world back up somehow with, with nine episodes to go, which excites me because it feels like we're propelling towards an important moment, but we don't have a clear sense of where that's necessarily heading or how Absolutely. we're going to get there. So I think this is, uh, uh, well done narratively. It's yeah. Mm. Any, we could, anything could happen at the Western air temple and I'd be like, okay, what if that's where Azula's mom was banished to? That would be interesting. Like who knows? Who yeah. Knows.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: All right, Annie. We should probably wrap this up. I think this is officially our longest episode of all time now. <laughs> I think we we crossed the two hour threshold. Um, people said it couldn't be done, but I think we did it. <laughs> uh, wow. I'm so excited to for the home stretch here, which I feel like now we are we just made the turn for home now, and I, I don't know, I don't know where we're headed, other than I know the title of the next episode which ang already told us so we thank you for listening you can always go to our website uh, avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com please email us channel 3900 at gmail.com uh, we'd love to hear from you um, we are trying to line up some guests for these last few episodes um, i've heard from a couple people i'll be getting back to you and we'll uh, we'll get something put together that is all the time that we have we will be back next week with Book Three, Fire, Chapter 12.
1: The Western Air Temple.